I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Ainsley Earhart. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, June 11th, 2020. I'm Trey Yinkst. The country of Afghanistan is walking a tightrope between healthcare and security during the coronavirus outbreak. Afghanistan has again become the most violent place in the world, and now it has this incredibly deadly outbreak coming, and it's very hard to solve any of its problems without ending the war. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. The U.S. Institute of Peace hosted a unique panel today with Afghan President Ashraf Ghani, along with leadership from the Atlantic Council and the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. One aspect of the conversation explored the impact coronavirus will have on Afghanistan's future and security. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from Johnny Walsh, a senior expert on Afghanistan at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Starting first in Europe, six months after the COVID-19 pandemic began, the European Union is now condemning China for a disinformation campaign about coronavirus. According to the EU, China is spreading false narratives across Europe through targeted influence operations. The EU commission that looked into this information also accused Russia of assisting in the deception efforts. Reports indicate the commission also issued a response to the dangers of injecting bleach into the body, a reference to comments made by President Trump. Now to India that recorded more than 10,000 new cases today alone. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi had previously put the entire country into lockdown, extending the initial rules multiple times. Modi said today the outbreak is a time for bold decisions and investments. Local reports indicate in big cities like New Delhi and Mumbai, hospitals are overwhelmed. Finally, in Afghanistan, the country is reporting more than 22,000 cases of COVID-19 and just over 400 deaths. Officials said this week some areas are running out of hospital beds and that disaster is coming. Just over half of Afghanistan is securely controlled by the government, making consistent medical care difficult for Afghan citizens. So how are security issues intersecting with the coronavirus pandemic in Afghanistan? Yeah, so this was uh, a very detailed conversation with the president of Afghanistan. Uh, I would say probably his most prominent public statement in Western media um, recently. This is Johnny Walsh, a senior expert on Afghanistan at the U.S. Institute of Peace. At a particularly important moment in the effort to end this Afghanistan war, which I would describe as the responsible exit strategy for finally winding down this very long war and uh, massive U.S. military commitment there. So President Ghani had a lot to say about the prospects for peace talks with the Taliban, which seem to be pretty close at the moment, um, for getting Afghanistan on a better path to sort of self-sufficiency, sustainability, um, and, and about his relationship with the United States, and for that matter, with his own very difficult region. So uh, USIP it has really emphasized Afghanistan, so has the Atlantic Council as a priority for our effort, and uh, this was a really important voice to hear from. As you said, it's a unique time to have this conversation amid this global pandemic and some progress that's being made on a peace process. When it comes to the intersection of security and healthcare in Afghanistan, where do you see things standing today? And what are the biggest concerns for the Afghan people when it comes to coronavirus? Uh, well, like in many countries, we might not have thought a few months ago of health care, the health system as a core security problem in Afghanistan, but it sure is now. Um, Afghanistan 
one of the very few poorest countries in the world. Um, there's a lot that's good in Afghanistan, but it, it's a country that especially struggles when something like an, an outbreak of disease hits. And it happens to be right next door to China and Iran, two of the major early epicenters of this disease. And so classic case where uh, testing is limited in the country. It's hard to tell exactly how widespread the disease is, but it sure doesn't look good. Um, so that has lots of potential consequences as it plays out for the stability of the country, such as it is, for the government's ability to show that it can deliver to its population, for that matter, to the Taliban insurgency's ability to show it can deliver, <laughs> deliver anything in areas under its control. It's a really hard problem. Um, if we're looking for silver linings, as, as one must in a policy context and things to build on, um, it does create this imperative to it maybe strengthen this imperative in Afghanistan's case to put the violence aside for a minute and deal with this this tidal wave hurtling towards all sides of the conflict. Um, there, are, there are limits to how much effect that can have when you have as, as deep and entrenched a, a war as Afghanistan's experiencing. But there are cases, I'm kind of thinking of uh, Aceh in Indonesia after the giant tsunami uh, about 15 years ago, where a natural disaster can actually have a real, give a real boost to a peace process. And certainly policymakers are trying to take advantage in that way. So the global call for a ceasefire that came from the UN coincides with extensive efforts for a ceasefire in Afghanistan and probably gave that effort a little extra nudge. Um, actually, at this moment, we, we are seeing significantly reduced violence for a variety of reasons, and the, the goal is to help that continue. So <laughs> the last person in the world who's going to say coronavirus is good for Afghanistan, it's a very scary prospect, but you have to take the areas to build on, and this opportunity to nudge the peace effort forward is, is a real window, a real opening. It's an interesting point that you bring up. Nancy Lindborg, the president of USIP, when she was on the program, discussed this with me as well, that this could be a window for peace talks, not only in Afghanistan, but other countries, because everyone is so focused on this invisible enemy. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the land control situation in Afghanistan. If you could give our listeners a better picture of what that looks like and why that might create a challenge when it comes to having some sort of consistent medical care for civilians in every part of the country. You mean in terms of what the government controls versus the, the insurgency? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Taliban, one of the largest, strongest, most unified insurgencies in the world, unfortunately, um, it controls large percentages of the Afghan countryside, no cities. Um, and there's a lot of dispute about exactly where the boundaries are. <laughs> Even the very concept of boundaries is not exactly right in a, in a situation like this. But broadly speaking, the government is strong in cities, the Taliban strong in the countryside, and there's sort of a jagged beltway of conflict zone around every urban area. You could think of it that way. Uh, that means that it's difficult to mount a single unified public health response. That's hard enough anywhere. It's hard in this country. It's hard everywhere. Uh, but all the more so when you have uh, split control to one degree or another. And where the the government is poor and uh, resource poor and has limitations on what it can do, the Taliban has very little health infrastructure. They have tried to expand into governance, but this is this is not their forte. So 
you have these uh, actors trying to do the right thing, the ICRC, the UN agencies, the World Health Organization, certainly the other international donors. Some of them have been good over the years at working across front lines. Uh, for example, polio eradication has been a, a major effort in recent years. There are organizations that have been really clever about working to stamp out polio in Afghanistan, one of the last places in the world that exists. So that toolkit is in place. But as we all know, coronavirus is spreading at an unbelievable rate. It, it defies even well-run machines in places all over the world. So this split control is just an extra layer in a tremendously complicated situation in Afghanistan. You've been listening to Johnny Walsh, a senior expert on Afghanistan at the U.S. Institute of Peace. We'll be right back. Do you imagine the Taliban will use this as an opportunity to try to show legitimacy in their ability to govern even at a small level? I mean, are there times, maybe not necessarily having to do with disease outbreak, but other humanitarian needs in which the Taliban allows international organizations to move a little bit more freely in their territory because they're not serving a political purpose? Do you see that happening here in terms of if there are NGOs or other organizations who want to come into Taliban-controlled territory and conduct coronavirus tests, for example? That is, to a degree, yes, that it is a core Taliban argument that we're the legitimate government of Afghanistan in their worldview. We did a better job when we were a regime than the Western-backed government is doing now, and we can still do a better job today and in the future. That's, that's their argument. So the outbreak and, and virtually everything else becomes a plank in that argument where they try to show governance capability. There are cases where or there are issues on which they can be somewhat persuasive. A widely cited one is that in some far-flung areas, they're perceived to deliver quick and impartial justice faster than the government does. So they make that case on public health as well. They just don't have very many tools to back it up. And I, I don't think that's really lost on the Afghan population because either there's treatment coming or there's not. Um, ultimately, I think the government comes off a little better of the two in its ability to respond. Um, but I would, again, stress that all sides are really just looking at the severity of the crisis coming toward them and in terms of COVID. Um, and, and that points back toward the peace process. I, I think it has only increased a clearly visible nationwide appetite to just end this conflict, not at any cost, but to end this conflict, because it, it has gone on for so long. Afghanistan has again become the most violent place in the world, and now it has this incredibly deadly outbreak coming, and it's very hard to solve any of its problems without ending the war. And this also happens to occur at a, at a moment of great promise, relatively speaking, in a, in a longstanding peace process. Absolutely. A country that has seen such high levels of violence and an ongoing war, do you see them as any more prepared in terms of emergency medicine, looking at the government in Kabul, or the ability to respond to mass casualty situations or, or these sorts of things? I think it's a an interesting angle of conversation to explore when you look at some countries around the world that have dealt with ongoing conflicts. They've almost adapted in their ability to respond to severe medical situations. Is that the case in Afghanistan or based on their infrastructure, are they at a worse off place when it comes to the coronavirus response? 
I think there's an element of existing infrastructure that is uh, smart and versatile enough to pivot from you know, combat trauma, all, all of the pre-existing health problems in Afghanistan, to this giant new challenge. And that includes both um, Afghanistan's own health infrastructure, such as it is, and the fact that, for example, Doctors Without Borders has a has a big presence in Afghanistan and runs hospitals all over the place at, at great risk to very brave people who staff them. However, I, my instinct is to say that is probably dwarfed by the fact that this still very limited infrastructure is now facing a, a qualitatively greater challenge um, because in the last few weeks, violence has dropped. That's very good. It's encouraging. But broadly speaking, the the rate of gunshot wounds and amputations and, and standard public health problems like uh, waterborne disease, nothing has, they continue unabated. Some of those things are increased at a time of COVID. So you're talking about stretching a very uh, small infrastructure even further. And someone would have to study numbers and come up with a method to, to determine what's the net effect of those two opposite things. But my instinct would be that adding a huge challenge without reducing any of the other challenges ultimately just puts the health system in a worse place in Afghanistan's case. It makes sense. Really appreciate your insight on this topic. Johnny Walsh, senior expert on Afghanistan at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Johnny, thanks again for your time. My pleasure. It's good talking to you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.